somebody walks into your office, they offer you 9.5 billion rand. I say, thank you. <laughs> at a 2% interest rate for the first five years, what do you do? Phone the police. <laughs> Mark, hi, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Nice to be back at work after a lovely long weekend of chocolate and sport, which was a great sort of neutralizing effect. Yep. Yes, yes, exactly. Watching sport and yes. eating chocolate, that is. Yeah. <laughs> he is on the couch. Hi, everyone. My name is Tim Cohen. I'm the editor of Business Maverick. I'm talking as usual, as I do once a week with Mark Barnes, who's a very famous and renowned investment banker. Woo. We always have woo. <laughs> we always have fun. So, Mark, we were we had our feet up. We were watching the golf, but meanwhile, the new mayor of Johannesburg is very hard at work organizing a loan. So, I, I'd like to just ask you a question because you know you're a banker and you know about these you know sort of complicated loan sort of dynamics. Somebody walks into your office, they offer you nine point five billion rand. I say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> they offer you your loan of nine point five billion rand at a two percent interest rate for the first five years. And then you pay off the loan over 15 years. What do you do? Phone the police. <laughs> yes, exactly. I know a risk I see. Okay. This is a scam, right? I mean, you look at it and it's a scam. <laughs> this can't be true. And if it is true, the source of the funds can't be true. No, it's rubbish. It has to be rubbish at best or, or questionable, you know, unless it's grant money or something. Anyway, I mean, whatever that loan is, it has to go through a whole bunch of approval processes, especially a tiny little loan like that of $9.5 which you can, you know, scarcely take the time to bother to think about nowadays in our big numbers. But if you, I don't know whether SAEs and municipalities are the same, but in, in an SAE, you know, this would be something that Treasury would need to be made aware of. You would have to have gone through all sorts of tiered approval processes up to the board, involve Treasury, and particularly if you're operating under some form of government guarantee. Municipalities might have their own approved budgets, and I would imagine that if such a loan were to not fall into the same due process, it would be because it was pre-approved in some budgeting process. But it's a, it's a non-trivial loan, and the terms that you've just said make it you know, highly suspicious. And I think, if nothing else, owes the public a full explanation and a transparent understanding of where that money came from and what's it intended for. Yeah. Just to backtrack a bit, this is Tapelo Hamad. He is the, uh, the ANC and EFF-backed candidates, the Johannesburg mayor. He represents the, the Al-Jahamad party, which got le less than 1% of the vote. So, of course, the ANC is asked, so that he, he spoke about this loan. He said he had secured this loan from this person, unnamed, and it was going to be used for making Johannesburg a you know, leading city and for services and so on. So he says all of this in an interview on SABC2. Great interviewer, by the way. And of course, then all of the people start phoning all of the parties to find out what they know about it. Yeah. They phone the ANC. The ANC knows nothing about it. You say the ANC didn't know anything about that as if that was an unusual response. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. <laughs> so the, the, the EFF is also sort of questioned about it. And then they say, well, everybody wants us to fail and we've got to give these people a chance and so on. But I mean, you know, the significance is that the ANC and the EFF got into bed to oust the previous mayor, but they couldn't agree on a leader. 
They couldn't agree which party should nominate the mayor. So they compromised on one of the kind of smaller parties, assuming that they could just sort of like, you know, control the new mayor like a pawn. But it turns out that the, the mayor actually does have some, you know, influence in, in the whole process. And he can also have meetings with financiers and sign the city up for, you know, huge new loans. But as you say, there is a whole process involved. There's no chance that this loan will actually happen. I think what's amazing about it is how fast the sort of dodgy financiers got into his office. I mean, that's the extraordinary thing for me. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not surprised at all, given the broad-based extensive support that he has. One <laughs> percent. Uh, He's a man of some interest. Listen, I think what worries me almost more than anything else is a total absence of understanding of these kinds of numbers. Okay. Yeah. I mean, 9.5 billion rand. It would take you years to even, you know, centuries, I beg your pardon, to count that. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a huge sum of money. And we banded these numbers about it. So I just think, how can you even, you know, be in the same room with people that talk so glibly about such gravitational forces of money? It's indicative of an absence of any deep understanding of finance. That's what worries me, big picture. And as far as this specific instance is concerned, every time I see an explanation, whether it's the PRC advanced this or the so-and-so signed that or the whatever, the explanation is so porous and so full of non-financial acumen and exaggeration and, you know, and, and big words that it produces what little faith I have left in the understanding that's required to manage money. I mean, you know, there is one interesting thing about this loan, which I sort of couldn't help noticing. I mean, we know no other details, right? And the mayor of Johannesburg has put out a statement saying there is a process they have to go through the treasury committee and the national treasury has to be informed, et cetera, et cetera. But just the tiny little bit of what we know about this loan just makes me terribly suspicious. So you're paying 2% for five years, right, is how it's structured. Now, that, to me, is obviously the, the, the giveaway, because 2% for five years means that, that the current administration doesn't get lumped with the, you know, the big payback. The subsequent administration will get that problem. <laughs> yeah, but that sounds like the sort of offer I'd get on an 087 number on my phone. Okay. You could have this loan, and also, surprisingly, you have a beneficiary from, from a... Yeah. Yeah. Somebody in New Zealand has left you some money, which is just great. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's like that. And those kinds of offered get, offers get a two-word response from me. And the second word is off. Okay. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. Talking about financial strain in, in the, the state, I saw there were news reports over the weekend about the possibility that the post office might be declared bankrupt this week. I know you don't want to talk about it at length, but you were the former CEO what do you know? What can you tell us? Well, you know, I don't know anything that isn't in the public domain, and I think respectfully we should wait for them to make an announcement, which they said they would do this week, if that tweet indeed has substance, okay? But I would imagine the post office, based on public information tabled at the Portfolio Committee in respect of the March 22 results, has been bankrupt for some time, and the bankruptcy runs quite deep. I mean, I think, if nothing else, there should be a freeze on operations, and we should determine, you know, what transactions have been taking place since that bankruptcy occurred. But let's, let's wait for the facts and then 
you know, I'd be very curious as to, you know, where the road is going to be forward. I'm pretty damn sure that the post office is bankrupt. Yeah. You know, I've also had a look at those numbers. It is very obvious that since after you left the post office, which is how long ago now? Yeah, it'll be four years in August. Yeah. So it's quite a while. But I mean, I did, at the time that the balance sheets were tabled in Parliament, I did compare the balance sheet that they tabled with the last one that I signed. You know, there's a huge difference, not all explained in losses. So let's let's wait for the facts, and then I would feel almost obliged to, to analyze them. All righty, let's move on to international affairs. I don't know whether you've been following the story about this leak of Pentagon intel. It's just amazing. I mean, you know, the, the weird stuff we've learned, if it's true, we don't know whether it's true or not. Of course, the Pentagon haven't uh, confirmed or denied as, as always. But the allegations, you know, among the allegations of these, first of all, I mean, we know that's right, but the extent and quality of the, the intelligence, if it's true, is just amazing. They have a very detailed conversation that was recorded between people in the, the South Korean defense ministry about supplying Ukraine with, with armaments. You know, South Korea, they're, they're an ally, right? <laughs> so so that, that means that the U.S. is spying on its own allies. But, you know, we knew that, right? We know that they, everybody spies on everybody to the extent that they can. Yeah. Keep, keep your friends, keep your friends close. Keep your enemies closer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. Here we are. And, and you know, they have their sort of detailed info on exactly how long Ukraine's missile capacity will last. And very interestingly, there's a bit about Mossad encouraging the protests against the Netanyahu government, which is you know, quite extraordinary. Mossad, the secret service agency of the Israeli government, is supposed to be neutral. So just, whew, it's kind of mind-blowing. The whole thing is kind of mind-blowing. Yeah, well, you know, first of all, uh, Tim, it's not true. That whole bit of information was gathered by, you know, chat GPT, and it's all been made up. Okay. It's, it's all AI. I mean, there is a chance. Okay. I asked Chat GP to put one together for me, and it was completely different. Okay. I really, I really, that's the first thing. I mean, this politics is not nearly as boring as we don't give it credit for because, yeah, these, it's still a bit like a movie, man. Everyone's spying on everyone, and everyone's got pens that turn into rifles, and it's, it's too fabulous for words. The best little piece that I read was that Russia is now offering bonuses, Nochal, if you hit a tank. The Ukrainian tank, one of those Leopard 3 tanks or whatever they are. Right. I don't know why they keep naming tanks after our local animals. Maybe because it's all spotty. But so, so I think there is extraordinary intelligence and then counterintelligence. And eventually you end up right up your own bum, you know, not knowing which part of the stuff is true or which part you should fight against. You know, I, I give up. I mean, I, give, I don't understand this stuff. Okay. Yeah. But I tell you what I do understand is that people die as a consequence of these war games that are had between, you know, leaders of the free and unfree and other descriptions of the world, okay? And that's unacceptable. That's, a, that's the collateral damage of the political warfare that are had between egos. And it's it fucking unacceptable. It's extraordinary. And it's extraordinary that South Africa, our sort of official position, we've spoken about this before, but our official position is neutrality. But yet, we're not neutral. You know, we're not acting as, as a neutral country would. We've got some big trade deals hanging on this thing. No, but don't worry. <laughs> yeah, you mustn't worry. I heard the president sending off 
send team of people to the US to go and make nice. Right. There's so many teams of people yes. trying to make nice and trying to fix up and trying to do this and trying to do that. We don't get anything done. We we all created great team work and focus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what's you know what I like about the Russian system of paying you a cash bonus if you hit a tank. You know, this is evil, right? Obviously. But I do like the sort of the idea of, you know, incorporating the sort of capitalist incentive techniques. <laughs> you know, we haven't seen that in war. <laughs> this is what's gonna happen. Okay. So the guy will hit a hit a tank with a missile and instead of shouting, go, they'll shout, tank, tank, and they'll all run around it. <laughs> Bonks on the in the middle of the field, and some sniper will take him out. Okay, before they can get paid the money. <laughs> I mean, it, it, if it if it wasn't so terribly sad, it would actually be funny, man. No, 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 it isn't. I mean, uh, just just to note the number of people you forget, the number of people who are dying in this war. It's just incredible. I mean, it's like a one hundred people, two hundred people a day on both sides. There hasn't been a conflict like this of this intensity for you know almost a century. It's more than have died in any other Russian conflict together. And they reckon there's no, there's no hard and fast numbers, but they reckon that at least 100,000 on both sides. All right, let's move on to golf. Do you play golf, Mark? Listen, everyone plays golf and nobody plays golf. I, I do play golf. <laughs> I do play golf and I hit the ball more of a heart, but I often disagree with the course design. Okay. So, you know... <laughs> So, yes, yes, I do. I mean, golf is a spectacularly participant sport because anyone can play. The handicap system says that I can play John Rahm right. and we should tie if my handicaps are, are fairly calculated. So it, it is a fascinating thing. And the most difficult part about it, funnily enough, is it's the only sport I know of where you hit a ball that's standing still. Okay. okay. And that's much harder than hitting a ball. And that's harder. <laughs> No, actually, I had I read this definition somewhere that uh, the golf was the art of putting a very small ball on a very large ball and trying to hit the small ball without hitting the big ball. No, no, <laughs> no like like planet Earth, you've got to you've got to miss the planet Earth. That's the art of this, this game. <laughs> anyway, so the Masters takes place this this weekend. It was a f- fascinating tour, and it really is an extraordinary match. But the the subtext of this match was about all of the players who have now deserted to live golf, which is the Saudi Arabian sponsored golf. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of interesting because. If I understand it correctly, this is the last time, right, the Live Golf players will play in the Masters because they probably won't qualify. They haven't been banned from playing. Well, but you need a certain number of points to play yeah. um, or, or be a previous winner to be invited. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting because, in fact, my column this week is about money and sport. But I read in The Economist, no less, that the total kitty for all the PGA events which are 44 of them, right? this year will be $415 million. Right. And in the LRV lot, it's $405 million, but it's only got 14 competitors. So uh, there's a bit of a better spread of the sport. <laughs> uh, uh, so it's, it's, well, it's, I, I've, I think I love the way, I love the way they, the, all of the live players saying, no, they're not doing it for the money. They're not doing it for the money. <laughs> no, 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 it's not for the money. I mean, a man's got to eat. Okay, go yeah. on, man. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, it's infused every aspect of sport. And read my column on Thursday. I don't think it's cool. 
I no, 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 me neither. I mean, you know, you don't like sport monopolies to develop, but there is a logic behind a sport monopoly in a sense because you do want to know who is the best player. You know, you want to know, and if there are two sort of, you know, which is why they have a unification. There's two different NFL or good football leagues in the states, and what do they do at the end of the tournament? They have a runoff between the two top sides. There's one soccer World Cup, so we know who the actual winner is. You know, so he's a logic behind having a having a single tournament. No, and a rugby World Cup and other things. In golf, though, they've decided not to compete for who's the best, but who's the richest, which is you got to say not such a bad thing to win. Okay. <laughs> Yes, yes, no, no, that's right. Cool, Mark. Thanks very much. Just to say to everybody, please do leave comments and tell us what you want us to talk about. We always enjoy getting comments from our listeners. This is our ninth one of this podcast. We're going to keep going. It's too much fun. Thanks, Mark. And be careful on the roads. Watch out for falling pylons. Cheers, guys. Next week. This show is part of the Africa Podcast Network. The biggest pod network on the continent. For sales inquiries, please contact us at info at africapodcastnetwork.com.